You know, what drives me crazy about college boards and how they approach a high school student's CV is they'll look at grade point average. Do they have any context on what the environment is, what they went through to get that 4.0 or that 3.0? And do they know what the trajectory of that GPA was? What if a candidate starts with a 2.6 and then has a 4.0 for two straight years and has an average of a 3.1? They could have missed what could be an incredible student because they're looking at a full four years. The collateral damage or impact of not taking that approach is severe. To let each division of the company, each function, try a three-day work week. Mm -hmm. I would just say we don't need to create new metrics, change metrics. You know what revenue is. You know uh, what engineering is. You know what product is, Alex. You know what client services is. If we were to do three months, six months, same type of approach that we took last year and watch those metrics and they went up, why not? Okay, welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. Reed, uh, we just did half a podcast with no one listening but ourselves. You thought the the audience wouldn't want to listen to the multivitamins I'm taking now or other uh, middle-aged male... Yeah, nutrition kind of uh i don't know how to put it like kind of sad pathetic trajectory like where you start turning more and more to supplements and vitamins yeah in hope of uh remaining vibrant yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think that one I, i'm not sure our producer would have uh, allowed us to publish that one yeah not because so. it was r-rated or anything like that we would have had like three people really locked in and then the other people been like what podcast am i listening to yeah yeah exactly <laughs> they've been like i knew reed was really in the huberman i did not know he wanted to go head to head with him on a podcast <laughs> god, <laughs> god help me <laughs> yeah uh, i'd really laugh if uh a couple days later lurch was like i heard that podcast you guys did yeah, yeah i bet you did <laughs> <laughs> you were one of our three i knew you would be yeah um, all right. Well, anyways, today uh, we thought we'd talk about maybe some of the content we're consuming and some of the stuff that you and I would normally share offline and uh, maybe work out or work through together to see how it may be useful. So you just um, recently finished Adam Grant's book, Hidden Potential, uh, and you said there were, well, you gave me your, your review. I don't know if you, if you want to give your highlight review here and then go into what you thought was interesting. Yeah. Well, apologies, Adam Grant, but... Um... I think you took a step back with hidden potential, uh, but the bar was pretty high. Um, I still don't think he should be reading his own books. Um, and maybe that sound mean, but. Oh, you mean like the audible? Uh, yeah. The I audible. usually love it when the author reads it though. I usually do too. Huh. Have you heard Adam Grant read a book? Yeah, I did the other one. Um, and you would still. Think again, yeah. You would wish that he continue reading? I don't remember. <laughs> it didn't scar me so much that I even remember having an issue with that. He has these moments where he like thinks something's really funny and maybe it's just we don't have the same sense of humor. Yeah. There's not to mention the voice, but like the it's the it it's this enthusiasm that doesn't translate for you. Not for me. Yeah. So, so it when could I, just you would have the same problem if I read my own book. Except uh, and only, <laughs> I, and I'm not trying to be nice. I'm not trying to be nice. Uh, except um, whether they're funny or not. I really enjoy, uh, I don't even call them dad jokes, uh, just Staley jokes. Um, so therefore, I think I could I can uh, enjoy an audio book from you. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I got that out of the way. Uh, but the reason I felt like it was a step back, as I was saying to you, is, um, so the book should start there. Um, 
is pretty self-explanatory, but it's about how you unlock the hidden potential uh, in yourself or others. And I do appreciate the fact that it wasn't just a kind of self-help book, but it was also like, if you're managing someone, you're at a company, you're a mentor, you know, how can you help, um, you know, release or unlock yeah, uh, somebody's true potential, which was interesting timing because you've been telling me about Goggins for a few years. I never, uh, you know, spent uh, any effort or time researching that guy. But in parallel, I was listening to Huberman's podcast and he had Goggins on, which was according to David, uh, one of two podcasts he did for the entire year. Cause he hates podcasts mm. and he put a couple F bombs like on both sides of that. <laughs> and he was, you know, pointing that out, but, um, he was also talking about unlocking potential and how he approached it. Mm. And, dramatically different than how adam grant uh suggests you go about it um but i think we know goggins is a one-on-one and so uh you know just recognizing that so um i was really curious you know his first book or i think it was his first book was the originals nonconformist just how important that is and valuable to the world and um all these really interesting examples of entrepreneurs and others and then he moved to think again um, which was all about unlearning and rethinking, which we used for this year's digital summit was a big hit. You know, I was trying to make sure I gave proper attribution because I felt like at some points they're like, this is brilliant. It's like, well, <laughs> there's a book <laughs> that, that we're borrowing from, you know, with that theme, but it was, uh, nonetheless, it was a big hit. And I think there's always time and place for that. And he did a great job also in that one. I thought of some really great examples and, um, very categorically kind of how, uh, how, he approached that. It was awesome. So I was excited about hidden potential. And um, it, for me, fell a little flat because it, there was just so much anecdotal, like, uh, and some of that is is great, you know, but talking about NASA, this person's story, that person's story, this, this group's, uh, you know, uh, challenge and adversity they faced and how they overcame it and and then some, you know, uh, there's a lot about this chess club in Harlem that uh, stunned the world and won, won one of these tournaments that thought people thought was an impossibility uh, given who they were up against. And none of that, you know, like I felt moments of inspiration and stuff like that, you know, but um, he wasn't like saying, and, and there's all this research and data then to support you know, what happened. It was more like story after story and then a lot less real science or social uh, science. Um, and so that was just one thing. I'm not trying to start with a negative that uh, didn't work for me as much this time. Um, what, but uh, what I didn't mention to you before we jumped on the podcast that I did appreciate that gets back to uh, kind of the grind and I'm even asking it or have its recency bias, I guess, but in some of my uh, interviews that I've been on, is how and you'd appreciate this because you have talked so much so long about uh, the grit like i, I want to find people that have grit know what that really means and i just tweaked to grind and based on reading grant's book as well as listening to goggins i i've been asking how do you approach the grind and if somebody doesn't even know what i mean uh can't understand that that's a red flag you know it's like we all have to recognize it. I would hope, you know, the grind that comes with any job, but certainly a job in the case I was at interviewing for account managers, that's going to come with doing a lot of the same things over and over. And at some point, you know, um, that turns into a grind and there's a lot of different ways that, uh, people, and I'm sure you have an interesting answer to that and how you approach that. Or if you 
say it's it's kind of absent for me. Um, but Adam Grant, bringing it back to hidden potential, um, says one of the best things you can do is form some type of deliberate play. Um, and he was quick to qualify. This is not just some kind of, uh, he didn't, maybe he did, because sometimes he does use the S word in our family. That's stupid. Uh, hmm. You know, we try to stay away from that, but uh, he, he does not shy away from that word. And I think he said, you know, not some stupid gamifying silly game that really just means nothing. And you'll stop doing after the second day. He's like the deliberate play is more strategic. It's more really building some type of uh, system you know, to improve yourself um, and directly confront the grind. And it helped me, you know, I'm a basketball fan, sports fan. He mentioned Steph Curry, who's the all-time uh, three-point king in, in the NBA and has beat all odds based on his size, his being lightweight. Nobody thought he had a chance to really uh, make it in college. And then he shined in college and then he's become one of the greatest point guards that ever lived. And he uh, was the example used for deliberate play. And he said, um, you know, it's not fun shooting 500 balls a day. It's not fun running back and forth horse in the gym. You know, the cuts, the things that professional athletes and the absolute best athletes in the world have to do. Um, and so uh, he hired a coach who um, had a system uh, that he categorized as deliberate play, where he had different versions of all these drills that were so important for him that he would then compete against himself. And that, uh, kept Stephen Curry from really uh, ever sinking into, you know, kind of the doldrums of like the boredom and I'm not really motivated. I don't want to do this. So uh, I thought that was interesting. And he said, that's something that really great employers should consider um, and potentially bring into their organizations if they're, you know, starting to see some of the, the grind, uh, the boredom get, get to their, uh, get to their employees. So I like that. I thought that was cool. Um, and I think there is some room for us with that. If you think about, you know, a lot of, uh, our, our employees, you know, they've got to be facing that. And I don't know if they've heard operative word, deliberate, you know, thoughtful way about approaching and, um, kind of creating a little bit more playful, uh, environment for themselves, you know? Yeah. Like basically I'll pause there. Yeah. Feel free to weigh in on that and I'll get to a couple of the other takeaways. Yeah. The, um, um, I, I feel so the, I feel like there's a, actually a couple different versions of this that I've seen. So as you were saying, most jobs I had previously had some, you know, stuff that became repetitive or boring or what have you. And, uh, I felt that people in my experience, people that, um, um, not quite were to the deliberate play, but they would make something of work like fun about it. So meaning they would still like maybe goof off or have some weird game. Uh, I think of like uh, when I was doing Alex or uh, head of products um, references, they were saying how he would had this like uh, trash uh, can basketball game or whatever that he would play and be like, okay, who can get the most points in 10 minutes or what have you. And so it's like they made, he made something about like work, kind of fun like a silly game fun that had nothing to do though with building product versus this is taking a step further and saying hey try to make a game out of something that you also must do to become better at your craft uh, which definitely seems like a better even a better version of that um, so it's interesting yeah interesting i appreciate kind of maintaining it felt like there's a element of competitiveness and maybe it was because i was latching on to the specific example he used but that would be uh, smart 
um, because you're trying to connect it to potential. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of how do you get through the grind, but you're also at the same time trying to uh, extract the most value you can from either your brain or your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and briefly, you know, detour back to Goggins, <clears throat> you know, as I think I shared in Monday's roundup, and I again know you're <clears throat> more uh, studied up on him than I am, but you know, for him, he was like, uh, the grind um, isn't a grind. Uh, I just do. Everything's about just doing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Huberman was like, was there a point, though, like that you needed like some outside motivation? Did you watch Rocky? I mean, he was just kind of joking, but he wasn't. You know, was there certain music? Uh, was there this huge goal for you that you were in pursuit of? You know, mm-hmm. you broke all these world records. And he was like, nope. No, no, or no, he said yes. As I was making that transformation from 300 pound lazy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, expletive, expletive, um, I uh, did need more of that and I, I used it and then it ran its course. Mm-hmm. And I was admiring, he even mentioned Elias from Platoon, like the movie character, as well as the Rocky and then Michael Jordan. He had mm-hmm. like some fictional and non fictional, like kind of people that he looked up to as the ultimate badass. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I was trying to kind of take pieces of all of that. And eventually I did kind of become that ultimate badass. And I no longer was looking for other identities or mm-hmm. ways to motivate me. Um, and then taking a step further and more where he's at today. And he's been for the last you know decade has just been um, embrace the suck. It's, you know, just um, you just do it. And if you're willing to put, uh, on a daily basis for the effort to do things you don't want to do, then you have the best chance of extracting your full potential again, through your brain and through your body. Um, but, uh, and that's, that's Goggins or that's, that's Goggins. Okay. He's like, that's a big gradient. Um, he said every day for me. And that's where it started to feel border- a little, I guess, cynical, but he was like, I'm, doing virtually everything i do this podcast you know he was like okay he's like i don't want to do it uh i i don't want to get out and run i don't want to you know do a bunch of pull-ups uh i don't want to speak at these conferences um but i just keep building up my willpower uh and that's when he made you know uh, some kind of scientific connection which i won't go that far um so that was goggins but bringing it back to hidden potential um he talked a lot more about kind of uh, how powerful the belief of somebody uh, that you respect is to somebody's potential. So for me and you, just I hope is a is an okay example. But you know we're big supporters of each other, and if you were to try a new venture and you uh, and it was something I knew a little bit about, mm-hmm. um, as well as you know the the respect we have for each other, that that would really help you reach that potential mm-hmm. and achieve that goal. What um, was interesting though, is he said, what's even more powerful is if somebody ignorant, um, you don't know, doesn't really know about this new venture doubts you. That's even more powerful, proven to be more powerful, uh, more of an indicator that you're going to succeed. And uh, the theory, social science behind it is, is that, it is even more uh, motivating um, when somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about doubts you um, uh, in a big goal that you're seeking or a venture. So he used the example of, and you may know this woman, but she uh, 
is one of 13 that have done, I guess, all the summits, like the, the highest summits in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very public when she went up with a group of women. So it was the first time that a group of women had tried to summit Everest. And it was highly, highly publicized. And they failed. And she was devastated. She knew how public it was. And she was thinking, I'm probably not going to do this again. It was really hard to stomach. And she said it was actually all the social media blowback from people that weren't climbers, didn't know anything about it, didn't, many were men, weren't even women, all this like shots at her. And she was just explaining it in Adam, to Adam Grant in an interview and said that that was more motivation than I can explain. Became and it was the fuel. fact that, yeah, that they were so ignorant and didn't know that ate at me more than maybe somebody that you know, it's just somebody I respects saying you can do this in both cases, they help in f- as far as reaching potential. But the theory from the book was, is that, um, when you're, uh, I guess challenged or ridiculed, criticized, doubted, um, by, you know, an ignorant, um, faction or whatever, uh, that, you're more likely to achieve a goal. And does that apply even if you know the person? Like all these stories about like, my dad said I couldn't do it, therefore. No, no. Okay. No. It, he seemed to really make a distinction that these would not be people in your network. Okay. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then. Um, so the moral of that story is go online and start flaming people and being like, you can't do it. I was laughing before you got to the end of that. I, I hope people still caught what you said, but yeah. I wanted to make sure you got your Staley. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Humor in there. Yeah. I'm just going to start trolling people. Cause I know I'm doing good with the world. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. You could really game that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this one is just a fun fact and I, uh, know we pretty much give our permissions for any detour here on the podcast. Um, but, uh, I had not heard, maybe you had, cause you laid down all sorts of facts like this, but do you know which country, um, has performed consistently the best on educational, uh, I guess, um, I'll just say, uh, assessments. So, you know, performance, education and performance, um, which country over the last 20 years has dominated. Is this something that Courtney planted to see if I would screw up on some harassment training? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm maybe. not going to, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I won't answer for you or what okay. you might've answered. Um, but he, he doesn't mind. He, he, it's not the, you know, to fully stereotype, but he's like, so, uh, if you were to guess, because I think he sets it up as a question too, that it was somewhere in Asia or maybe in India or mm-hmm. in Germany, um, you'd be wrong, 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 wrong. And definitely not the United States. He's like, mm-hmm. we've done nothing but regress over the last two decades. Mm-hmm. It's the Finnish. It's Finland. Mm. And uh, so uh, even more interesting um, is in the 70s, Finland was uh, middle of the pack, if not at uh, the bottom quartile. So Adam Grant, when he saw this, was like, that's kind of random. There it is. There's Germany. There's mm-hmm, Japan. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. China. But Finland's right there on the top. So he dug into it, all connecting to hidden potential. What was it that 
a country, not just an individual, discovered that changed the trajectory of their, you know, performance on these education assessments. And there were several things that, you know, surfaced, but the one that stood out the most that I thought you'd find fascinating, um, and you're a little ways away with Griffin, but we're in the middle of this with our kids, is guess what the average amount of uh, number of years, and I'm kind of already blowing this, but number of years that a Finnish student K through 12 spends with the same teacher. I mean, I just have to assume it's a lot. Yes, that's why I kind of blew that. <laughs> well, I don't. I think it's more of any time. Well, of course, when you ask the question, it'd be like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You'd be surprised to know. Uh, I actually have heard good things about the schools in the U.S. that do stuff like that. Yeah, the, when I mentioned it to Miranda, she uh, shared some of that uh, the same thing, and she's like, "And there's some schools that that is their system, and maybe they did." you know, borrow that or pick that up more than we know from Finland, because this started in early 2000s, apparently when they went on this run and mm -hmm. they're still there. And uh, what they found out was, or he found out is that the average uh, timeline is six years. That's the average mm -hmm. uh, that a kid between K and 12 spends with the same teacher. And you know, there's there, like I said, other elements less interesting, but that one stood out. And he said, uh, what was really fascinating was is that the teacher, uh, you'd see a what might be uh, baselined or evaluated as an average teacher becoming a great teacher, mm -hmm. um, also. So, not mm -hmm. just the student benefiting back mm -hmm. to like kind of where you see mutual potential unlocked, um, but certainly the student and. You know, we talk all the time about smaller classroom versus larger. And he said, you might be surprised to find out average classroom in Finland is 30. It's not 10. Wow. So he's like, so that was kind of fun to hear is that this isn't all about just having this really intimate, you mm -hmm. know, like teaching environment. Um, it was really the relationship building, mm -hmm. understanding the way David learns versus Reed learns and cr starting to just craft that the more yeah. you build a relationship. So can we apply this to our management? Well, <laughs> That's what I told Nicole. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so I won't name names, but I was like, there's people that I think need to stay together. Yeah, <laughs> and they're going to stay that way for as long as they're digital. for about six years, yeah. and yeah. then they'll have thirty reports. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they'll get very good though. Yeah, I was going to say, but we'll get the most out of them. Um, all right, so I'm building up because uh, I'm going to somewhat. I think I, this is in in threes for you um my biggest takeaway the one i appreciate the most that i told you uh, you said at this point maybe we should go ahead and talk about this on the podcast uh which is related to hiring and so maybe this is a good cutout or segment for darren uh that will be most applicable to our audience and listeners um if they're still still with me still with us uh hiring's such a challenge right and Breakthrough for us, you know, um, hashtag attribution, David Staley, uh, on sourcing the Who book for us, which has been so valuable. Really love that. Now it's almost fully baked into our uh, greenhouse, you know, ATS system. Um, but what the Who book does not account for in any way, because I, I did kind of do a cross reference here um, that Adam Grant says is so valuable. And he, it's, I'll use the phrase that, you know, he, he, he repeated is the distance traveled, um, for a candidate, how much is that uh, considered in a hiring process? And so his great example here, um, was 
uh, an astronaut that um, started as a migrant worker picking uh, cranberries um, in Mexico. Forget his name, um, but he was an avid learner. He was incredible, like uh, athlete. He had what would seem like some pretty amazing abilities and a good head on his shoulders. And more importantly, he had this extraordinary uh, commitment and conviction to becoming an astronaut. But let's be honest, there's lots of kids that grow up and say, I want to be an astronaut or I'm going to be an astronaut. Um, I don't know if he set the record for rejection, but he applied uh, several times in the 90s, rejected, rejected. And he was hiding some of his background because he was worried that the 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 mm -hmm. whether he would be viewed as somebody couldn't assimilate you know had too big of uh, differences um and you know some of the technical requirements and uh, mathematical and all this stuff and so he didn't disclose that and the guy that eventually uh did move him into the astronaut program uh had remembered him and he said you know it's a shame because nasa actually allowed us to do more probing on deep backgrounds, things that maybe might be a little, off, you know, off limits, uh, especially thinking in today's world, HR, you know, can you ask if you came from a broken home, just mm -hmm. by example. And we used to really uh, thrive on that in our process, uh, but they moved us to full standardization uh, in the spirit of equity, which is what Nicole and I uh, discussed pretty in intensely this morning, which I support, but, in trying to create something that has max equity um, and then the standardization for scalability, mm -hmm. you can lose invaluable, according to Adam Grant, context um, on a candidate. And specifically, he, he said performance. He's like, so you might see that David, you know, set the world record for, um, you know, running on a treadmill. Uh, but what you might not know is that, uh, he he has uh metal in his right leg you know um and then somebody else did it mm -hmm. if you don't know about the metal in his leg or mm -hmm. you know that he fractured uh his you know his hip in a car accident or something mm -hmm. then you're you're missing a really important piece bring it back to the astronaut guy um it there was way more to it than that um but because they weren't aware he just kept getting rejected. So then he goes out, runs, you appreciate this, ran um, a marathon sub seven, which, you know, not Solid. everybody can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, sub seven splits. And he learned Russian uh, only. Um, he entered like some pro program that, uh, God, I'm trying to remember what the, uh, what the project was, but he only took it. He said, I'm only going to volunteer for this uh, project if I can learn Russian. So, I mean, he was just doing extraordinary things. Um, and that distance traveled, uh, if you didn't understand that with him and you strictly just looked at the surface with him, with another candidate and looked at a, you know, resume asked standard questions, you'd really miss that. And so he is suggesting you're going to see similar candidates. And I did think I'm, I'm, certainly not naming names, but I had a couple of uh, interviews with strategic AMs, one of which had their version of the migrant to the astronaut story. Um, and trying to, uh, I wasn't as impressed as another um, 
candidate who I thought had this huge upside and reminded me of a few, uh, I'll keep the names again, out of it, uh, of our employees that are, are terrific. And then I thought about this element of distance traveled and I would choose if, and I really think I would now based on what I read and heard from hidden potential that uh, he also says, it's not just about fun, good stories. It's that they're more likely to succeed. So if you stop short and put most of your focus on experience performance and even the five f's from uh from the who family fit finance you know freedom all that stuff and lose and miss out um you have a lot you know you're less likely um to see somebody um or or you're 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 more likely to overlook the better candidate so he's not uh i'll wrap it up here and let you comment but he's not suggesting it it it's the end all be all but it's an, in, an invaluable aspect or could be of our hiring process uh he does say in grades he's like kind of connected this but you might appreciate this too he's like you know what drives me crazy about um college boards and and how they uh accept or how they approach you know a candidate uh not a candidate but um a high school student's CV is they'll look at grade point average. Mm-hmm. Do they have any context on what the environment is, what they went through to get that 4.0 or that 3.0? And do they know what the trajectory of that GPA was? So what if a candidate starts with a 2.6 and then has a 4.0 for two straight years and has an average of a 3.1? Mm-hmm. They could have missed what could be an incredible student you know, mm-hmm. at Harvard mm-hmm. because they're looking at a full four years. So still somewhat connecting to distance travel. Um, shut up now, but I thought it was pretty cool. And I'd, I'd like Nicole and Courtney to try to find a way for us to squeeze in something related to the context behind, you know, our candidates. Would you say in all situations you would take distance traveled then? Or it, would it be kind of like we've talked about Rodman where it's like you can have one Rodman on the team? for example. So I would say that, uh, you know, I'm, I think we're both, I don't know if skeptics at heart is the right way of putting it, but I'm not one to, you know, I guess hear one anecdote. Um, I do get excited about some of the stuff I read, but you know, I try to make sure I really think through the applications of it. And so I'm just trying to be you know, honest and thoughtful about my response here. No, I would not put that uh, above all else, but I feel like based on what I heard and there's a lot of logic in it that I think it absolutely belongs uh, in the key consideration set, uh, key criteria that um, especially if I'm looking and I think that's where he was trying to say, hey, if there's a tiebreaker, I mean, he right, he, he went right. farther than that. He did go farther than that, but he definitely would say if you have two similar candidates because he started to talk affirmative action. He was like, you know, it's kind of the spirit of uh, like people don't like that. It's like, but if you think about it, they're really trying to capture distance traveled and giving people that have the same SAT score the opportunity. Yeah. Wasn't as easy for them as it was for the privileged white kid, you know, um, that had money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand all of that. And I think um, <clears throat> depending how you define distance traveled, like it sounds like this through line for him or as I'm interpreting it by, by the story is more like total life distance traveled versus distance traveled in a position. Correct. 
Yeah, because I was thinking. But he he did hit a little of that too. So it's like if you know, in the case, I I'll, I think I can still leave yeah. if you don't mind, real quick. But the on the senior AM position, there were two candidates that their most recent position was essentially the same. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at maybe I'm still going a little further back than you're saying, but if you look at the distance to get to that position, even within the last three to five years in comparison, one had a lot further distance to travel. Right. It's like a most improved award. If yeah. you got a most improved award, I would put it in my resume. Um, so I also believe it's probably you, uh, us or whoever using this would be, what are you hiring for? So to your point earlier about grit or, um, would you change your grind? Um, something like light, meaning over the totality of your life distance traveled um, would probably be a good indicator of that. Similar to how like they will say, if you want to hire someone for grit, look for endurance athletes or solo sports people or something. Um, so I could see it like, okay, does this position need a lot of grit or, you know, grind? Okay. Then this might be something we want to wait higher for that scorecard right because mm -hmm. that's one of the things with, like how do we make sure this is as objective as it can be and then um from the uh, what i do like from at least if you're honing in on positions with people the who books question is um you know what were you hired for and what was your outcome so at least then you could see distance travel i was hired to bring in 100 grand i brought in 500 grand okay great that's major distance traveled mm -hmm. like so you know um Touche, uh, could be a good fit. And then um, I also know that we've, um, what you're talking about adds to diversity and cultural ad, which is something that we found very important too. So you're not just finding the, you know, mirror images of things. Um, what has been somewhat challenging for me at, at times is I guess still, and I haven't settled on that question myself as far as, you know, this kind of um, profile or conditions or whatever really perform. So it's almost like if you were to hire from the same, like, oh, if we recruit people from that company, they come in here and day one, you know, they, they crush it, right? Um, but the, uh, as everyone, all the books say, it's like, well, then you're really lacking diversity because you're you're fishing in the same pond all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I personally would uh, need to get settled on how, um, how much you go to a known, this will work versus how many sort of scratch lotto tickets might you take. Um, and I wouldn't imagine we'd want to say 100% um, scratch lotto tickets, but uh, there's got to be some something there. And then that's probably back to hidden hidden potential, right? Because it's the whole title of the book is hidden, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so um, you don't only put bets out there. Yeah. I think he described that specific ch chapter as uncut gems. Mm. Um, and I think the framework we have, I'll say for Digible with the who is is what, would give us some some assurance that we're not all scratch off lottery tickets. It's like you still have to go through, you know, a, a good, thoughtful, strategic process. Um, but we'll try to find different versions of uncut gems instead of if we happen to, you know, discover like this one company or this one subset, right. we could just keep going back and back and back again because mm -hmm. eventually that does become the other thing we've talked about many times on the on the podcast is just the group think and the cloning and you right. know not really the additive culture that we're shooting for. The right. thing that I wish, uh, you know, as we talk through this, that it connected a little more with um, that we've also spoken about, and I know if Janet's listening, uh, she's been amazing. Now I feel like it could be a pretty 
facilitator if she's not on uh, six types of working genius but um we uh tenacity uh is is in that and it doesn't really it's not in that it's not defined the way this uh, distance traveled is i don't know if i can make the connection because also in these interviews i did throw that hot potato at him you know or whatever pop quiz um can't believe I'm quoting speed. Oh, <laughs> Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh. If Nicole's listening, yeah, exactly. that'll be a test. Like, <laughs> yeah. now we'll know if she actually listens. Yeah, to totally. This. <laughs> it's our own version of uh, what is it? Soup, some sort of casserole that Erica yeah, uh, put. Exactly. But um, if you know what I mean, where it's like when we think tenacity related to six types of working geniuses, it's more like getting stuff done. It's not like being tenacious. And to me, that lines up well with, um, you know, that story of, of this guy. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm no matter what, like, and a, and a Goggins, you know, almost type mindset, just mm-hmm. so intense, you know, to get there. And that, that usually comes with more distance traveled. Um, I, my last uh, thing on this that I just thought you'd appreciate, you know, ponder on is what if, um, private equity firms strategics were to consider this um, prioritize it similar to how we would with a candidate. If you're buying a company and you overlook distance traveled, cause you can do the quick and everybody does. Mm-hmm. Are you bootstrapped or are you ventured? Oh, we like bootstrap cause they're gritty, you know, but I think the point of this book is like, you got to go deeper than that to really fully understand the distance traveled. And so, you know, would it bear out the way Adam Grant suggested when it comes to the professional world? Um, I mean, we're still talking professional, but in a business sense where it's like, if you really pay attention to that, you're more likely to get it right on that horse versus a venture backed Mm -hmm. or bootstrap that actually just had daddy's money you know, it's like really understand that story and you're more likely to get it right on who you buy. I can't speak about anecdotes with private equity, but I have heard that with venture firms that they will consider a lot of that story and particularly the team because they want to see, they enjoy often seeing that that founding team has gone through some adversity because it shows that they're like, okay, they won't just like crack it for sure. And they famously, the Airbnb story gets quoted a bunch of times. Cause it's like, you know, they made cereal in order to fund the Airbnb, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of that traveled to private equity, but definitely on the venture side of things, it's something that is like part of the sizzle. Yeah. Slide. Yeah. 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 Um, I, uh, that, uh, your whole, um, thing with, uh, your setup with hidden potential <clears throat> where you said you felt there, felt there were more anecdotes than as much hard research as you had felt from the prior books, um, made me wonder, um, just open up the conversation for how much do, are you currently feeling we should be orienting for this is 100% known scientific test versus makes a lot of sense. Let's go that way. Uh, and I think this, like you and I, like as we were talking offline and joked a little bit as we got online here about nutrition, it's like um, Peter Atia recently, I heard an interview with him where he was like, you know, I used to think saunas just felt good and didn't have it, uh, whatever. He's like, there's still no like, a B tests of sauna work, but he's like, the evidence looks pretty good. Use a sauna. <laughs> and that's how I can feel with some of this stuff that you're talking about with hidden potential, where it's like, it, it's impossible to do a, a perfect test of this. And so therefore, you know, could you somehow define what 
where you where you currently sit on on that spectrum yeah the timing of this question is is pretty classic the reason i say that is because i've been uh i don't know if crusades the right word um with and you've you've certainly been privy to some of this uh yourself uh either you know sitting in meetings with me recently or uh even between the two of us but where i'm going is the value statement versus just the logic and it seems similar to me here it's like so you don't in a way, and just for our listeners, we got a lot of business cases and requests. A lot of them were pointed at payroll in 24. You know, I need this to get this done or to hit that next level. And so uh, in the past, we, we've always required the business case. And it's usually, you know, share, share the logic with me, put it in a Google Doc, whatever, you know. But what we didn't do was get scientific and put our lab coats on and say, I need a value statement not just logic. And that's in essence, isn't it? Um, your question, which is like, at what point do we require data or is it necessary for us to really adopt some of these things versus just take the logic, you know, um, you know, some of these anecdotes and, uh, my, that's why I said it's classic because right now I'm not accepting logic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, so therefore if I said, you know, I'm okay with the blend, you know, um, again, we'll see who's listening, <laughs> but, um, to directly answer, which I rarely do, but you always come behind me and, and offer that up. If I don't, um, I would say I'm going to live in the middle. Um, because I do think there's something to be said for, uh, for intuition, um, that's supported by anecdotes, evidence, books, um, that doesn't have you know, thousands of studies behind it, you know, uh, oceans of data and, um, you know, not everybody's equipped, I, I'll say to toggle, uh, back and forth or, or account for both of those. Um, and I'm not saying I'm unique and that I can, but I'm more inclined to at this point, I guess in my life when the content I'm consuming, the company that we're building, I mean, you and I bring this up a lot when we get into these book reviews and talk about, you know, the content um, frameworks that we're trying to not just rinse and repeat or lift and 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 plug or whatever, uh, you know, that we're trying to take from a lot of different frameworks and not just because it's an ego thing and it needs to be our own because some of it is very much just like the who book we're not veering eos mm -hmm. we're not reinventing eos mm -hmm. but there are tweaks there are little adjustments that we've made to some of these frameworks and content that we consume and um and i love that that's one of my favorite parts of company building is us having the freedom to to not fully adopt somewhat adopt dismiss ignore test you know um all these different concepts and see where we find success mm -hmm. so that's more how i feel about it um, whether it's Hidden Potential or some of the other books we've read. Yeah, <clears throat> well, a couple comments for how I think about this is, one is, as you said about Goggins, and he he's a person of one. Uh, with ultra running, uh, they always say it's an experiment of one, meaning like what works for me for fuel and nutrition wouldn't work for you. And so no matter what the, the studies say, you still have to do what works for you. And I believe that that for a company as well. It's like, no matter what the studies say, you got to do what works for the, that organization. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, try to take from other people's learnings and, uh, which is what I love about 
our culture is that like, let's try to learn from other people and then question it, ask why five times or what have you, and then let's make a decision. As far as the data, non-data, for me, it, it comes down to a couple things. One is, is this a one-way door? Like you can't unwind it. So like, let's just say, uh, you know, we got, we saw a study that said, you know what, Digital, if you went from a four-day work week to a one-day work week, you'd be even more productive. Now, if we were like, uh, that feels like a pretty serious consequence to attempt. And it's like, you're betting the company on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, if we're not willing to peel this back after an experiment or something, because it goes wrong, then that's where I would need to, I would need some pretty freaking hard data. Um, <clears throat> so one way doors would make it hard for me. The other one would be like, can I live with the risk? So you and I recently talked, uh, just offline about, um, <clears throat> getting like a full body health scan. And, and what I asked you is like, if you got the scan and it said you were a plus, you know, prime meat, like, are you good to go? And you're like, uh, yeah, I can accept the risk of that. I spent X to get whatever that kind of clean bill of health. So I think that for me, uh, and that's what, if I, if I'm one of our listeners, it's, uh, cause I look at it, like you often talk about seasonality, market conditions. What about that property profile? So even with as much data as we have that anybody in this industry has every property is kind of a snowflake and it's so like their own blood work yeah their yeah. own blood work and so you can say like i've got pretty good data that says this is probably going to work but you know experiment of one might not and uh so you can try it and then it's just being willing to live with the risk of what you're trying so if it was like you're going to sign a 10-year contract on this like marketing campaign it's like all right that's probably too much of a commitment to say like that you're going to bet it on on a property but mm -hmm. um Anyway, so that's where I'm going is I think like the more, um, uh, the more data you have that uh, for me, the easy, the, uh, the more likely I would accept a, maybe like a, a lesser outcome to say like, Hey, I've got all this data. It shows a 10% lift. Okay, great. Versus like my intuition says this makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't have a ton of data on it, but it looks like it might be a 200% lift, but by the way, I can live with the risk that it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, I will turn it off. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I don't know, I was thinking like TikTok or Spotify or these things that sometimes don't have the same, you know, data, uh, afterwards to support, like did that equal new leases or not? Um, a lot of those. Yeah. So that's where I currently sit with this data versus logic versus anecdote. And I have to be willing to accept the, if it doesn't work out that I either will pull it back or that it's lost. It's like, all right. Versus getting, the sunk cost fallacy and just keep following it along 100 percent, and that's where the test and learn and then uh you know validate you don't always hear the v part of that test and learn um but that's the whole idea right um back to us wearing lab coats mm -hmm. which i joked i think it was with lurch this morning but i was like each quarter you're gonna see me in a white coat now because i'm getting scientific on this shit <laughs> as far as all these business cases um i just need to like because i told him it was like the collateral kind of damage um or impact of not taking that approach is severe uh -huh. um the bigger you get the more of those experiments and tests that you you want to support if you end up doing that too quickly and not uh not um having the theories that then you can validate or dispel <laughs> this is a if anybody can hear this for getting like uh this laptop uh someone's logged into it i guess for the podcast and someone was just slack calling 
That was a new one. <laughs> yeah, we could have like you know conferenced them in. Yeah, uh, it, that would be a funny and now I don't know if I can. Speaking of experiments, do different things to distract you or people to distract us and see if how yeah unflappable we are. Yeah, the, you did good there. You waited. I was good, hanging like, in there three, a little bit. Seconds. I almost kept going, but then I was like, enough. Yeah. Um, Tiger Woods. That was part of. I don't know if you knew that. Um, how. They say he was great as great as he was. His, his dad would do some pretty obnoxious things to him while he was putt mm. uh, growing up, and so it's like there's nothing my son can't handle. That's interesting. Yeah, that's smart. And Nicole was often one of her uh, programs, uh, coaching programs, was talking about the whole gorilla with the the basketball teams. Oh basketball. yeah, 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 yeah. I need to show that to my daughters. I'd be super interested to see if they catch that. Um, I was too been uh, tipped off, so it was easier for me. Um, the, uh, I just, uh, have to tell you, cause I think it'll entertain you. But as you said, if we saw data that said one day a week, you know, would drive our performance, whatever, you know, I think I'd have to, I'm paraphrasing, but I would pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, I recently thought about three days a week. Mm. <laughs> so I know you get, uh, I think amusement kick out of some of these uh questions i pose but one of the ones that you and i've talked about a few times at least last year we did is who decided one-on-one should be every seven days Mm -hmm. and i've posed that to some managers and we've been more i think open at least with the executive team about keep the cadence you got to keep you know Mm -hmm. um you and I know which meetings we shouldn't miss with each other and which ones we're a little more uh, flexible with. Um, so why four? Why why wouldn't we explore three? And I know, generally speaking, this is just to be provocative, why not three? But we haven't stress tested when does this not work? So many of the theories that we put forward in going to four did bear out. So back to experimentation, right? You know, I think uh, rather than just give some of the obvious reasons, unless you want me to, or you're going to offer them up on why we wouldn't go to three, I'm merely Mm -hmm. trying to make the point that if you found success in shortening your week, um, how do we know what if it's three and a half? You know, I still think that this calendar, you know, whether it's one-on-ones or in our case, something much bigger, which is a four-day work week, that it's still a little arbitrary to me. And if you believe in all the research that we consumed and circulated before we made the change, a lot of consultants, whether it's your McKinsey or whoever that uh, has done um, their analysis on time management, indicate that 80% of most work weeks are wasted. So therefore, shouldn't we get to at least 20% of a work week if we were optimally efficient? Sounds ludicrous, but just trying to make the point. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, you know, we're still wasting a lot of time here on a four-day work week that if we really wanted, and then how much energy, and that's always been the relationship. It's like, I give you another day back. Am I already maxed out on how much energy I get by giving right. you three-day work week? <clears throat> if I gave you four, would David be even more awake more committed just Mm -hmm. killing it when he came in or did we already max out yeah i think um it also depends on what metric you are talking about or care about 
right? Because if let's 100%. just go back to the one day work week, I would have to back to, to essentialism. Yeah. I would cut everything out, which means I would feel basically zero connectivity to my coworkers. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would have none of those relationships because I'd be all effing productivity. Um, and now uh, maybe great. We got the same productivity out of David, but what else does that mean? It's like, am I less likely to leave the company? Well, maybe because I can't get a one day work week somewhere else, but not because of coworkers. And we usually hear you stay at a company for the people, not, you know, uh, yada, yada. So it's like, what are we optimizing for? If, um, you know, in, in that sense, unless it was more, if the company was like, you know, uh, we assume you can work another job then to make whatever else income. So we'll pay you less mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm, this one day mm -hmm. a week, which then starts again, maybe to be counterproductive to whatever metric we're optimizing for, because maybe now they are more transient. Like someone's like, you know what? I ended up getting a full-time job that I'm pretty satisfied with my coworkers and stuff versus the one day I really lock in with you guys. I don't know anybody and I'm just a freaking conveyor belt. Um, so I would, uh, can I answer that? Sure. I mean, not that you posed it directly as a question, but you said, what metrics would we be optimizing for? Um, opcom, scoreboard, scorecard. It's like, that's our desert island. It's like the health of the business. And so um, what would be really fascinating is, uh, and I know we're not going to do this, <laughs> even though, you know, <laughs> I was a little tempted, but is to let each division of the company each function try a th three-day work week mm -hmm. and i would just say we don't need to create new metrics change metrics we just established this so you know what revenue is you know uh what engineering is you know what product is alex you know what client services is and if we were to do three months six months same type of approach that we took last year and watch those metrics and they went up why not yeah i mean that would be if we have extreme confidence that we have the right metrics right and that there's no it's the whole yeah. unintended consequence and yeah and and yeah I'll, I'll save uh some some of uh this i'll say fodder or <laughs> for offline with you yeah because um, yeah. It's all super interesting. I think like what we what we and many other people get stuck in, including again our listeners, is that oftentimes people uh, will compromise and they won't know very specifically like this is what I'm optimizing for, and they're like, eh, it hits three buckets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool, it's good enough, right? Um, so I think that's also important to get settled on, whether it's as a human or, or a company or whatever, as your strategy. Um, yeah, just to know like what your it's back to your outcome because if you have three buckets, it you probably are pressing people to say like I what one bucket are you trying to move the needle on? Not like what three might you kind of together move the needle on? A hundred percent, and um, I hope your wife doesn't mind me uh, being Nicole weave this weave this in, but um, she and I had this exact kind of exchange about performance reviews being moved to a set annual like mm -hmm. cadence versus anniversary based. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping Nicole, if you're listening that you'd be up to getting on the podcast with me and David and, <laughs> and getting into this conversation. Cause it was really, I, I mean, I think we both enjoyed it, but we really got into what's the ultimate outcome here. Mm -hmm. Cause she was mentioning there's, 
these three, four things. Like, right. and so it all sounded, I was like, these are great theories. What's the, what's the real outcome? Right. And right. is it, you know, a better employee experience? Right. Is it financial for the business? Is it, uh, we're going to gain back some time. Yeah. And all of those were on the list, but it's like, what's, yeah, what's that number one outcome? Right. Uh, what would make this a home run, as you like to say? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's an interesting one back to like some of the stuff we do here, company building, talking, those kinds of things that probably resonate on some level with people. You know, obviously tune into the, the cast is they're doing performance reviews. They're certainly hiring people and trying to unlock, you know, as much of that hidden potential as they can. So hopefully there's there's some value in today's podcast. well good good decent book <laughs> review good food for thought decent. For, <laughs> well yeah, i haven't I read the book so it's hard for me to like say great a you got it <laughs> i thought you were gonna give me a good thumbs up yeah well i i was impressed you didn't have any of your evernote out today you just like went right off the cuff which is solid but great conversation i enjoyed it distance traveled distance traveled. no evernote yeah reed has had a lot of distance traveled <laughs> All right, all. We'll see you next time.